When I was a little kid, and some of you are probably rolling your eyes thinking, oh Lord, now, now what? Yo, when I was a little kid, you're like, now what is it now, Pastor Mike? This weird thing that only you experience that none of us have. When I was a kid, I loved cartoons, and I once, once I discovered Looney Tunes, Disney kind of took a back seat, right? Because they were never quite as funny or clever as the stuff coming out from their, comp, from their competitors. And one episode I remember fondly, there was, there was this series of shorts where you had this wolf named Ralph who looked like the coyote, and there was a sheepdog named Sam. And what they would do is, is they would go to work. They would you know, clock in and then clock out, in and out for work. And, and so Ralph, during his shift, he tries to steal and eat the sheep in all sorts of devious ways. Everything he tries fails, though, because Sam, the sheepdog, he's never fooled by any of the Ralph's tricks. In one instance, I remember Sam flies a helicopter over the sheep and tries to use a metal claw attached to a rope to you know, snatch one of the sheep up. But, but the sheepdog, all he does is he just, Sam, he takes the rope and he pulls it and the, the helicopter with the, the wolf and it crashes and, you know, and it blows up. No matter what Ralph tries to do, Sam the sheepdog is always there, and he protects the sheep. And as funny as this is, it popped into my mind when reading this passage about Jesus and his words about the shepherd, the door, and the gatekeeper. All three of these can be used to protect and guard sheep in, in different ways. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at this text from John 10, primarily dip in a little bit to Psalm 23, and we're going to talk about, and the title of the sermon is Door, Shepherd, and Gatekeeper. Door, Shepherd, and Gatekeeper. So in this portion of scripture from the Gospel of John, Jesus is using some familiar imagery to try and teach them, right? They would be familiar with this sort of pastoral imagery of, of, of shepherds and sheep and being led, right? Because we have in the Psalms, of which they would have been familiar with, Psalm 23, which we opened the service with today, the Lord is my shepherd. Today's passage here in John 10 comes immediately after the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. Now, in that story, the man was born blind, he's healed by Jesus, and the religious leaders find out about it, and they want to know, how did this happen? So they call the, the, the parents in, and say, hey, your son was born blind, right? And I'm like, yeah, well, he can see now. How did that happen? And they're like, we don't know. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. So they call the man who was formerly blind. They call him in and they say, how were you healed? And he said, Jesus prayed for me, healed my eyes, and now I can see. And they get into a little back and forth. And the man's like, this is a great thing. If, this, if Jesus was from the devil, then this wouldn't have been able to happen. But he's obviously from God. Why do you want to know where he is? Do you want to become his followers too? And the Pharisees get mad and kick him out of the synagogue. Because the Pharisees, it's, in the story, it comes out that anybody who is, is sympathetic to Jesus or who believes in Jesus and affirms this was cast out or excommunicated from the synagogue. And Jesus finds the man after he's excommunicated from the synagogue and asks him if he believes. And the man replies, yes, I believe. The unbelieving Pharisees who are around standing by ask if they're blind. And Jesus says, basically, yeah, you're blind because <laughs> you don't see your own sin. So 
we have the man formerly known as the man born blind, his expulsion from the synagogue, right? The synagogue is the gathering of God's people to pray and to hear the scriptures read and taught. And I want you to keep that concept, the gathering of God's people fresh in your mind for a few minutes. The Pharisees are essentially the gatekeepers for the synagogue, and they expelled those who had sympathy for Jesus's ministry. So I don't think it's a stretch here to compare the sheepfold of chapter 10 with the synagogue in chapter 9, right? So the sheepfold that we're looking at here in John 10, I, could say, I think we could say, is the gathering of God's people together. Jesus says in verse 2, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. In our own day and time, to call somebody a gatekeeper is an insult. Gatekeepers are seen as someone who gets in the way of those trying to speak the truth. Or they're seen as people who use their position to limit access into the upper echelons of power. Or they use their position to limit undesirables from gaining status in the academy. In some cases, this is true. And it does happen. And it's wrong. But in some cases, gatekeeping can absolutely be, it can absolutely be negative. But in some cases, gatekeeping is necessary. It sometimes has to happen. And we have to remember, there's a concept, right? Abuse does not preclude use. Just because something or a concept has been abused does not necessarily negate that concept. I'll give you an example. I was, I was thinking about this recently. A few months ago, there was a, a leftist politician who is a Roman Catholic. And as a Roman Catholic, he went to Mass. And while he was there, the presiding priest denied him the Eucharist. When he came up to be communed, the priest kept the gifts from him. And when asked afterwards, why did you deny this politician the Eucharist? The priest said, it was because of the politician's position on abortion access. And in Roman Catholicism, and in Christianity in general, right, this is a grievous sin. And in their theology, when one is in sin, they need to repent and confess before coming to the table of the Lord. And so this immediately sparked controversy, which was then followed by tons of articles, like, how dare he do that? And, and thinking back on that incident, now a little bit removed from the time, I think that the priest was right to do what he did. I mean, I don't know if he informed the politician beforehand, which is probably what I would have done. Hey, buddy, <laughs> thank you so much for joining with us. You're welcome to worship with us. I'd like to, uh, you not to come to the chalice because I'm not going to commune you today because of this. So I don't know what happened. I'm just, that's how I would have handled something like that. But this, brothers and sisters, it's an act of gatekeeping. And it was one done out of love because regardless of where you are in the theological spectrum, sin damages the soul. And the point of the gatekeeping in this instance was to keep the politician from, as St. Paul puts it, he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to themselves, not discerning the Lord's body. We don't like to be told no. I don't like to be told no. When I tell Isaac to do something and he says, no, and he runs away, I get hot, right? And I have to, okay, oh, I don't like that. I don't like hearing no. It's time to go potty. No, 
yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like that. But in general, we don't like to be told no. It is my right to have this. It is my right to do this. How dare somebody stand up and say, no, that's not good for you. Don't do that. I'm thinking now, since we're talking about it, I'm thinking right now in our own, what's going on with the coronavirus, where the government's like, hey, everybody, let's try to be a little safe. Maybe you should close your churches down for a little while. Religious leaders grandstanding and saying, it's our right to meet together. The Constitution says it's our right to meet together. And it absolutely is our right to meet together, brothers and sisters. But what we often forget as American citizens, but more importantly as Christians, is that sometimes we have to lay our rights aside for the good of somebody else. And many of us forget that in times of emergency. But we don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told what to do because it's in our DNA as Americans. You won't want to tax, tax us without letting us have representation in, in, in your government? That's it. We're overthrowing you, right? That's in our, it's part of our American DNA. Nobody tells us what to do. So to, have, to encounter a gatekeeper telling us no, we don't know how to respond to that. And this plays itself out in the religious world too, brothers and sisters. Notice the job of the gatekeeper here, to open the door for the shepherd. So if the shepherd is the gathering of the people of God, then what is, or who is the gatekeeper? In his explanation of the Holy Gospel, according to St. John, St. Theophilac notes that the gatekeeper is Moses. He says it's because Moses is the one through whom God gave Israel the Torah and the commandments. The basis for everything that comes after from the prophets and the wisdom literature has its origin with God's revelation to Moses. But I don't think it has to be limited to Moses, though. And I don't even think he would limit it to Moses. I think that it applies more broadly. See, the Pharisees didn't see Jesus for who he is and thus did not recognize him in the scriptures. And if you want to hear more about that, I preached about that a few weeks ago. But those whom God has sent the faithful prophets in the scriptures, right? The apostles, their successors, they are the gatekeepers too. I like to think of the gatekeeper also as the regula fide, which means the rule of faith. There's that word again, rules, we don't like it. (laughs) No, don't tell me what to do. The rule of faith is best summarized in the ancient creeds of the church, most especially the Nicene Creed of 381, and also to a degree in the Apostles' Creed. The regula fide, the rule of faith, gives us the boundary for how we read and interpret Scripture as it centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we do not interact with Scripture through the rule of faith, we do damage to the Scriptures. And those who would enter the sheepfold, the gathering of the people of God, if they do not hold to the rule of faith handed to us, and we saw a hint, right, in Acts, it'd be the formation of it, right, where it says they gathered together and they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostolic witness. This is who Christ is. This is what Christ has done. Christ is risen. To the prayers, the prayers, 
indicating most likely specific sets of liturgical prayers, probably based from the Jewish tradition, and the breaking of bread, which pretty much everybody from the early fathers on until the modern era saw as the Eucharist. This is, the, this is what forms for us the rule of faith. And I think we can also say that the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts to the content of Scripture. When we hear Scripture rightly expounded on and rightly preached, and the Holy Spirit directs the rise of the rule of faith that we hold and cling to. So let's talk a little bit about the shepherd. This one's easy. <laughs> right? So we saw the gatekeeper as the scriptures or also the rule of faith in the Holy Spirit, right? The shepherd is, is Jesus. In our call to worship, we heard of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd is the one who enters by the door. The door opens to the shepherd and lets the shepherd into the sheepfold. He then calls his sheep and they know his voice and he leads them out of the sheepfold and goes before them. The gatekeeper then would know his voice too as the door opens, right? So the sheep can be let out. And as sheep, we don't just stay gathered in the sheepfold. We meet as God's gathered people on Sundays and we're doing the best that we can right now virtually. But generally speaking, as the church, we meet in the sheepfold, gathered for worship, to hear the word of God read and proclaimed, preached, to receive the sacraments. But we don't just stay in the sheepfold. The shepherd opens the door. The gatekeeper knows the voice of the shepherd, opens the door. And the shepherd leads us out. Where? Well, the shepherd leads us out into the real world. We are not meant to just stay huddled up in our own little group, and our own little community. That's not what we're called to do. We do gather for that, but then the shepherd leads us out into the world. Jesus says elsewhere, you know, I send you out to the apostles as lambs amongst wolves. We are led out into the world for the sake of of the world, and this might lead us to some dangerous places. You know, we are led through the valley of the shadow of death. We are afraid of death, and its shadow casts itself into our hearts, but the shepherd has conquered death, and it no longer should hold us in fear. And even though we will be led by our enemies, the shepherd will keep us in his care. We are led along the paths of righteousness. We are cared for. We are anointed, blessed, born again, Jesus is our good and true shepherd. But there are other shepherds, though. False shepherds. And these false shepherds are also calling out to us, calling to the gatekeeper to open the door. They try to bypass the gatekeeper. They try to bypass the door. They try to climb the walls of the fold through lies and deceit to lure us away. But as long as we are protected by the gatekeeper, and only listen to the voice of the shepherd, then we will be safe. There are many today who think that the voice of the thieves and the robbers are the voice, is the voice of the shepherd. They think these voices are telling them to align themselves with political parties on the right wing and on the left wing and in the middle. They think the voice of the shepherd is telling them 
to bring in ancient, long since dealt with heresies. That what we confess isn't binding. That what the rule of faith constrains us to believe doesn't matter to us anymore. That it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're nice. They think the voice of the shepherd is telling them to redefine what it means to be made male and female in the image of God. They think the voice of the shepherd is telling them to abandon the poor and to neglect the needy and the suffering. My friends, these are not the vo- this is not the voice of the shepherd, but this is the voice of the thieves and of the robbers. Do not follow them. The shepherd only leads us into truth, and this truth is enacted as we like Like in the first wave of converts in Acts, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Let's talk about the door. And I don't mean that terrible, overrated rock band from the 60s. I'm sorry, they're terrible. (laughs) The door, terrible. If you disagree with me, you can flame me later via email or text or something. The people listening to Jesus were confused, and he had to explain what he meant. And he says this bluntly, truly I say to you, I am the door. (laughs) Jesus is the door. He immediately tells them, I am the door. He's the shepherd, but he's also the door. But what does he, he mean by this? In John 14, he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is, one of the things that Christianity gets taken to task for is being exclusionary. Exclusion, exclusion, exclusion. Exclusion is bad. We should never be exclusive. We should never, there should be no type of exclusion from Christianity whatsoever. It should just be this massive wave of inclusion. And inclusion is good. Like, we understand this, right? That when Christ dies, he is forming his church, the new people of God, from all different groups of people. We understand that. But at the same time, we also understand that that means that that is exclusive. And we don't like that because we don't want to be seen as uncaring or as unloving. Access to God, instead of maybe saying access to God, maybe we should say our being united with God only comes through Christ. And you'll hear this over and over again from well-meaning people. All religions are the same. (laughs) All religions teach the same thing. They're leading to the same place. This is not true at all. And even a cursory glance at what different religions teach and believe shows something very, very different. We want all religions to be true. We want all religions to be pointing to the same God because we don't want to be exclusive. But that is not the case. All religions diagnose different problems and then they provide different solutions and they have different metaphysical underpinnings. Right, so, and, and please forgive me if I get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm, this isn't in my notes. I'm trying to remember my studies, right? When you talk to a Buddhist about what's wrong with the world, the problem with the world is suffering. So the point of Buddhism is to f- be free from suffering through following um, the, 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 
the Eightfold Truths, right? To be free from suffering. In Islam, the problem is pride, and pride must be subjugated. In Christianity, the problem is not suffering. The problem is not pride. The problem is sin and death have corrupted the world. Different problems, different solutions. So we cannot say different religions are, are, are all preaching and teaching and generally believe the same thing. That is demonstrably untrue. And it's the height of modern arrogance to make claims like that. We only have entrance into life, into the abundant life that Christ promises here in John 10. Through going through Christ, our door, being led by Christ, our shepherd, past the gatekeeper of the Holy Spirit, and the rule of faith. Now you hear preachers online or on TV also say about abundant life in particular, and please forgive me brothers and sisters for harping on this, but this is, it's so present right now because of coronavirus and because of everything that's going on, people making false promises that they can't fulfill this idea of, of abundant life. You'll hear preachers online or on t- TV say something like this, quote, you may have no qualification, position, or money, nothing in the natural, but when the Lord is with you, you will end up with everything because he will cause you to be successful, close quote. Brothers and sisters, this is not the abundant life Jesus is referring to. Jesus didn't save us so we could be fulfilled fully by surfing or getting a a promotion at our job or having a hefty 401k in our bank account. Abundant life is life in Christ through the door, energized by the gift of the Holy Spirit we have all been given as Christians. This abundant life remains in us and with us and will raise us in glory. St. Theophylact says, In Christ everyone has life, but the righteous have something more, the kingdom of heaven. And this is the abundant life, brothers and sisters. The abundant life is our life in the kingdom of heaven. Our abundant life is (laughs) our eternal life, united with God. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy And so this is one way we can learn to discern the voice of the shepherd from the voice of the false shepherds all around us, calling out to us, trying to get our attention. Is the voice that's calling out to us leading us to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? Or is his voice leading us into sin? Is the voice leading us to wreck our lives on the storm-tossed rocks of evil? Or is it leading us to a calm harbor? And we have to remember, brothers and sisters, thieves and robbers are tricky because they don't always look like a thief and they don't always look like a robber. And sin often drapes itself in something that looks irresistible. I'm reading a book right now and and in this book, it's it's a fantasy book and it's really, really great and I'm really enjoying it. But at one point in the story, one of the main characters, he comes up against basically this thing. It's basically a personification of, of sin and lust. And the way he describes that almost irresistible impulse to act on his desires, right? In something that looks beautiful. And then later on in the story, spoiler alert, he sees it's in reality behind the illusion of beauty 
is a double-headed serpent. Under the garb of sin, dressed like a supermodel, is death. Don't let the thieves steal you. Because if the thieves steal you, they will try to destroy you by using what looks good, what looks loving, and what looks thoughtful. So let us, brothers and sisters, enter the sheepfold and be led from the sheepfold, right? Through the gatekeeper of the Holy Spirit and the rule of faith, and let us be led out into the world, journeying towards the heavenly pasture where we will find true, lasting, and ultimate rest. St. John Chrysostom says, Thus, when he brings us to the Father, he calls himself a door when he takes care of us, a shepherd. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the shepherd and the gatekeeper who enters through the door of the Spirit, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating Spirit. Amen.